Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast and thanks for joining the Bite Size Conversation with Sally Hayden. Sally and I had an incredible conversation. You know, she talked to me about how missing out on her dream role gave Sally the space to really find her voice. Sally's managed 11,000 people across three countries. She's had a global career in Australia, the UK, India, the Philippines and Dubai, and they've all been driven by a passion for customers and people. You know, she shared with me the absolute honesty that for much of her career, there was work Sally and home Sally. You know, work Sally pretended to like golf and never really felt that it was her place to speak up. Together, we cover how it felt to find her voice, to show up as herself and the sort of deep inner work that she continues to do to find the confidence in herself. This podcast has been an absolute fan favourite. I think the conversation is fabulous. Sally is a wonderful, self-aware leader who's unapologetically ambitious and driven by learning. I hope you really enjoy this bite-sized conversation. If you finish and you're hungry for more, you can find the full conversation with Sally and I as part of the Brave Feminine Leadership podcast. Let's get into the conversation with Sally. You were really pretty young as well, weren't you, at that point? Yeah, so this is like uh, probably 2022 20, at this yeah. day, 21, yeah. maybe, yeah, early 21. Um, so really young. And I just, I remember having this sort of light bulb moment one night when I was really struggling thinking, well, I know how to sell. I can teach these people how to sell. That's what I'll do. I mean, basically coaching. I didn't even know the word for, for coaching in those days. And that's sort of what I did. So I really focused on making my people the best that they could be in my team and I was really successful. So I started getting, I got bigger and bigger roles. Um, and at 23, I was leading a, a contact centre of an outsource provider um, of 800 seats, lots of different big, you know, big name customers and clients, um, which was, I sort of just had this crazy courage. Um, and I look back on it now, it's probably youth. Um, but I found myself, I had three peers, there was four of us who split up the, the contact centre. Um, they were all men. Um, all a very different life stage to me. So most of my friends were sort of still in uni, very, you know, entry-level roles, um, and they were middle-aged men with families. Um, and so I think that is probably where a couple of things happened for me. I, I definitely started my imposter syndrome, um, and I can talk about how that sort of evolved throughout my career. Um, and I just, I, I knew if I worked hard, I could do it, but I always felt I had to work harder because I was coming from a different, I didn't have their experience. And I, yeah, so I, those two things really played out for me. And I didn't really have a voice um, in those days. I did with my team and I knew I was really confident there, but sitting at that table, I didn't have a voice, um, which is really interesting. Um, so I did that um, and learned sort of how to have a work persona and a home persona. And my work persona was just not me. Um, okay, so was... let's stop on that because I think that's really interesting. What was um, well, what was work, Sally? So work, Sally was serious, um, and in, in her spare time she played golf. I'd never oh. played golf in my life, <laughs> but they talked about it all the time, and I felt like I couldn't say, "Well, I went to a nightclub and sang karaoke on the weekend." Like <laughs> it just didn't feel like something I could be. So I pretended and I learnt really, I learnt lots of phrases you could say about golf. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a I put on a I put on a persona when I went to work so for a long I, time. I just need to check in with you. Have you ever played golf since? 
Um, I had golf lessons. My husband gave them to me very early on in our relationship and I hated it. <laughs> I played putt-putt, mini-golf. <laughs> yeah, so it's not, like, it's not like this pretending to like golf at a certain point ever developed into anything. Uh, no. No. Okay. No. So we've let golf go then, have we? Yes. <laughs> but I thought I've, I've very much for a, a long time had this work persona. Um, but, you know, I was successful and that hard work and I was going to work at it um, was really helping me. I then I left that role and actually left Sydney and went I went backpacking with my best friend and then we arrived in London and started working again. And this is sort of where I really I started just getting bigger, um, more more broader roles. Um, I was, you know, responsible for the always contact centres were part of what I did, but then I sort of moved into customer service strategy um, and supporting customers. And I, I, I look back on that time and, I mean, we are having the most amazing time, you know, travelling Europe on the weekends, it was fantastic. But I just, I was kind of just chasing bigger and bigger roles. So if I look at my CV, every two years I was moving and moving up and up and up. And it was amazing learning, um, really amazing, but I still had this compartmental work and home self and then I had after 10 years of that and a little stint in India I decided I had to come home my my sister was having babies and you know you want to be part of um, your family's life so I moved home and I started at Telstra and this is sort of where I I feel like I grew up in the workplace so I started um, it was sort of a senior general manager type role most jobs at Telstra are pretty big because of the size and the scale of it. Um, so I was loads of people, I think I had a team, maybe about 400 people, and I was running all of Telstra's complaints. Um, and I just started to, I, I was so ambitious and this corporate place was gonna develop me. I could see this ladder <laughs> of bigger and bigger. And I just had my eye set on, I love call centers, I love customers and leading people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna climb this ladder. So I set about it and I was ambitious and successful for a number of years. Um, when I think back about it, you know, I must sometimes I must have been pretty hard to work with in a team because I was just super ambitious. And my goal was to run the biggest contact center in Australia, and that was Telstra. So I was going to be the executive director of contact centers. And I was being successful. I was, you know, I was in my space where I loved, and I was, you know, I got there and I I was promoted to sit on the leadership team, not as an executive, but alongside all these peers who are executives. Um, and I still hadn't found my voice. That was pretty daunting to me. I mean, they were all men. Um, and along, for a long time, most of the people in my teams and um, around me had been men. Um, and then I got, the, I got the opportunity to act. The director left and I got the top opportunity to act in the role for a pretty good amount of time, six to eight months. Uh, and I was good at it. I was successful. We made some big changes and I just, I just thought it was mine. You know, I had it in the bag. Why wouldn't you give it to me? And I didn't get it, um, and it was a it was a really really tough time for me. So now I look back on it, and it was probably the best thing that could have happened. But I mean, at the time, it did not feel like that. So I was like, well, I can't go back and report to this person who has the role that I think I can do better. Then what will I do? And so I mean, Telstra is a great place, and they were very supportive of me. So um, this new leader had come in to disrupt the business from a digital perspective. He needed someone who knew Telstra, our customers, um, and wanted some help to set up the digital division. So this is Gerd Schenkel who comes in. Um, why don't you go and work with Gerd and help him do that? And so I sort of was begrudgingly went over there and, you know, licked my wounds for a while and, you know, I was there, but I wasn't totally invested. And a couple of things happened. So, um, 
there was probably two really pivotal moments. I got this message on LinkedIn from someone I had no idea who they are, but I'm really grateful for them. And the message was pretty blunt and it said, who are you to be leading? I just updated my profile. Who are you to be leading uh, Telstra, one of Australia's biggest companies, digital transformations? Where'd you, where, did, where did you get this experience? And, you know, at first I was a bit shocked and then I was like, hang on, yeah, this is um, this is an amazing opportunity and I hadn't seen it for, for that. So I kind of, I, so my eyes were open and I just then started to have this amazing learning. I was learning digital, like digital tools and agile ways of working and just having a great time learning. And I hadn't really been learning for a long time. So that that changed me and I can talk about how. But the other piece was I found my voice. So I found this, I was sitting on this team and everybody else was external on this leadership team. And I realised the role I had to play. I loved Telstra. I loved our customers. And so I found my voice. Um, I found that if I didn't say something to inject the customer or what I knew for people at Telstra into that conversation, I wasn't doing the things that I love to service. And so I found my voice Mm -hmm. and I really found it in that team. Probably sometimes they wish that I, you know, I might not speak up so much. But I really started to learn the value that I bring um, as me, not as, um, you know, the pretend executive who plays golf on the weekend, just as someone who really cares and gets what our customers need and um, truly knows the people who work at Telstra and serve our customers. And so that was just like such an amazing opportunity out of something that I thought I would never have gone after. So then I sort of thought, well, what do you do after this? <laughs> you know, I just want to learn now. Like call centres, and, and I will always love my time in call centres, customers and people are what, you know, and leading people are what make me me. But I was just like, what else can I learn? And, you know, started to get really hungry for that. I then um, I went and had a baby, my first son, which was great. Um, I was still pretty ambitious and I still am, but I remember getting ready to come back to the office and I was going to come back part time. I wanted to do that for a little while. And my first thought was, how am I going to hide this part time work? And I, that's what I thought I should be doing because there was no role models around me that talked about um, working part-time or that did or it just wasn't part of the conversation then. And this was seven years ago. Um, And then I actually just had this thought, well, you know, what if I don't hide it? What if I actually am just, you know, me and talk about being a mum and talk about what's important and say, no, I can't tomorrow because that's my day with my son. Mm did um and that like it almost um there's almost a groundswell of of people gravitating towards me wanting to talk to me about their stories and and having help and I sort of found this leadership position in the company like an enterprise leadership position around uh diversity Um, and then I so then I got actually got asked to head up the diversity council for retail and jumped at it had no idea what I was doing but just knew that, you know, if you really listen to people and try and create a place at Telstra that allowed people to be themselves. Um, and the, the term gender deafness, which is exactly that around you've tried to put your point on the table, it either hasn't been heard or, or, um, or listened to, probably more to the point, and then, yeah. and then a male puts it on the table and it's picked up. So would that, that happen to you? Oh, definitely, a, a lot of the time. 
So, and there was a little piece, I think, where maybe the way I voiced it was different, but no one was curious to actually understand. You know, there was no curiosity there. What do you mean, Sally? It was deaf, deaf ears, and then the same point. And so as I, I kind of went through this development internally and um, would start, I would, I would call it out. This was later. I would start to call that out. But I didn't do it from a good place. Like I learned how to do that tactfully. Um, you know, a lot of the times I, I said really clunky things like, well, uh, did I not just say that? Yes. Did anyone, like, did anyone just hear me say that? Like, and which is a little bit confronting, I think, when you're, I think probably now it tells you to be fine to say that. They've come such a long way, but it was a little bit confronting. And I learned, I sort of learned how to actually have a voice in that way to make a difference because I felt really responsible, particularly when I got that diversity leadership role. How would you do that now? How would I? Yeah, in that situation. Um, so a lot of the time now I can, I see it happening for others. So a lot of the time I would say, we haven't actually heard from female. Um, can we just explore that that point a little bit more before we move on? And I sort of would facilitate that, uh, and I would talk to the person afterwards, one on one, who I think didn't didn't hear. Um, and I also would do, particularly if it's in my area, um, I would spend a lot of time with leaders, ensuring that they understand how to how to hear from everybody in their team how to make sure everyone has a voice. And it's different because not everyone can speak up or wants to speak up. So how do you find a way to lead that enables everybody's voice? Yeah. Um, so I do spend a lot of time doing that, but I would do it one-on-one on one basis now. Um, that's that's my learning really. Um, but certainly role model, the way I, you know, what I see happening and allowing people to have a voice that may be getting spoken over or may not have found the right words yet or, you know, that, that type of thing it sounds like you really had to stop and think about who you were as a leader I'd love to kind of hear about that and then I'd also love to hear if you had you know three things that people should ask themselves to kind of improve their leadership yeah and so the the great thing about growing up at Telstra was we went on a lot we, we got a lot of development and for a lot of time for a long time it, it didn't really stick with me uh, and that was because I didn't really know myself as a leader. And so this was sort of coming out of finding my voice and feeling okay to be different. And so what would be the three things you'd suggest that someone kind of asks if they want to improve their own leadership or their own self-awareness? Yeah, so I think definitely the self-awareness piece. So asking yourself, what is your leadership impact? Um, and going really deep on that, like understanding the good and the bad, because there'll be a shadow and that's okay. Um, but the more you learn about that shadow, the more you can understand it and mitigate the impact. Um, I think the piece around why do you do what you do? So it took me a long while to realise that um, this ambition, it's actually, I actually love leading people and getting people to change. And I love making an impact for the customer. So I can go now into like any role that I, you know, as long as it has those two things, I can learn anything. And that why is, that's what keeps me motivated. And I think you need to know your why. Mm. Um, and then the other one, probably the learning. So what are you learning? Whether it be about yourself, um, but yeah, what, what are you learning? If you're not learning to me, 
you're not developing, you're not growing. And so what sticks out for you as you went through that kind of work? Is there any part in particular that really sort of stands out for you or really resonated and had an impact? Yeah, I think the piece around, there's a really big piece around knowing uh, what you bring and giving yourself grace when you might make a mistake or you you learn through through failure, and that's a big word, but that kind of what do you learn from it? How do you reflect and move forward with that learning without um, feeling like you've wrecked everything? <laughs> and, um, and that is a big one for me. So um, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be great at everything, but I can, I can learn through stumbling sometimes. Yep. Um, but the, that, that real reflective piece, so I, you know, you're actually really smart on reflection. And if you take the time to do it, gosh, you can learn so much about what you are good at, where you should focus on. And that I have some practices around journaling and reflecting now that um, are just really helpful, um, really highlight where I should be focusing on and where I should actually go, hang on, you know, you've come so far in that. That's amazing. So um, how often do you journal? I do it every day. Mm. Yeah. So my big learning, if this is helpful to anyone, is habit stacking. So I love exercise and at the end of it I come home and I journal and then it's, you know, those two things are done and I'm, I'm good. They go together and you yeah. have yeah. health and you're ready to get on with the day, physical and yeah. mental health and good to go. Yeah. Um, Sal, does that, um, you touched early on around always feeling like you had imposter syndrome. Um, has this process helped with that? Definitely, 100%. Um, so I feel like I'd made such a big a big leap, but I still, like even to this very day, someone the other day said to me, Sal, you sound really corporate. And I was, I was so shocked because I'm like, no one's, like inside, I'm the 23-year-old running this, you know, out of a comfort zone. Um, so, yeah, but this, it has helped. The more you get to know yourself and what drives you and what, um, what gives, what triggers you into fear or panic, it's really helped that imposter zone. And I kind of now, um, I kind of feel like everyone probably has it in some way. Yep. And it's not just, you know, this big thing on my head. It's, yep. it's everyone. And um, that has really helped me. And helped me be a better really, leader as well. Yeah. But, you know, what, when I just throw that out there, why do you think females are not in these roles? What's your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think it. I think it's very big the the ecosystem that drives it. So I think it's very hard. It's it's hard to um, overcome your unconscious bias. We all have it. I certainly have it. And if and men have it. Like and most of the time, men are in these leadership roles, and they are bringing up people through the ranks like them that get along with them. Um, and that's and I see that to be part of. The problem there's this kind of environmental piece so that then how do you some of the target stuff I think is is you know really positive because it actually um, challenges that bias to actually look outside of that but then how do you find the people who will put their hand up and it's um I learned I mean I've I learned this in my career um I expect this is later on at Telstra I expected a promotion of what I was acting in and I got promoted, so I got promoted, but to a very different role. And when I was speaking to um, my manager, he just didn't know that I wanted that role. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a piece around um, female, like the role, we are, out, the role you missed out on. 
This is a different, yeah. Oh, so the role, I was acting, this is another, as the executive ah. director of digital. Yep. And I was acting in there, doing a great job. I got promoted to an executive director, but just totally different. And they were, it was kind of like this really awkward conversation. We didn't know you wanted that one, you know, and you have <laughs> given you this. Uh, and there's someone else in that now. Um, and I, I reflect on that in this question, though, because there's a piece around, I think, females, um, we are female, we have feminine traits um, around, we don't ask, always ask for what we want, whether that be salary or roles. And I remember this very early on in my career, I knew what all the guys in my team wanted, I knew what they wanted next in terms of their career. And I never would, would never be part of that conversation. And I think managers good at that. They're good at saying, I want that. And, you know, there's probably a whole heap of stuff around that, you know, feeling confident versus females. But uh, I feel like there's a there's a little bit around either we have to look out and help for females to plan their careers or or spend a bit more time understanding how we bring the right female skill sets into these roles and take a chance. Like if I think about that digital role for me, that was a massive chance that Gerd took on me. Um, in some ways not, but in some ways totally. And I, it was a good one. You know, it worked for the company, it worked for me. You know, could we take more chances on on females that may not have the traditional experience but are going to learn or bring other amazing attributes and experiences to the roles so it's not an easy one to no. answer um you've had a lot of experience in the diversity space as well what do you think is the sort of key question we should be asking about diversity wow so i think we should be um focusing on how do we um how do we get as many voices to the to the table, whether that be to the problem, the question, the team. And if we're focused on that, I think that sort of starts to open up a lot of other things. So differences, whether it be gender, race, um, you name it. And it also then makes you also focus on how do you hear their voice? Because it's one thing having them in the team, but then how do you enable that voice? And I think if we're just really passionate that we have to get so many minds and different opinions on a problem, or, you know, whatever it may be, that starts to change the thinking about how you would do that. And my final question, Sal, is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? Um, so I think it is about being 100% yourself. Mm. So that total human leader, um, wearing pink if you want to, um, vulnerable, vulnerability. So um, it's okay to be vulnerable because that's you in that moment and just bringing that um, as well as courage. And I, I really reflect on that word because it, sometimes I think, oh, just be a little bit more courageous. You know, that's it's not always that easy. But if you bring those two things together, that total human leadership and it's okay to be female in whatever way that turns up on the day and you're courageous in it, um, you know, so you speak up and you have a go or put your hand up, I think that that is what it is to me. Thanks so much for listening. If you've loved these conversations and you want to join in and be part of the Brave Feminine Leadership community and fill yourself up with inspiration, there are lots of ways you can find us. Our website is bravefeminineleadership.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook if you look at at Brave Feminine Leadership. 
or find us on LinkedIn and connect and become part of an incredible community of senior professionals. Come and join us. Can't wait to see you there.